Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Okay, let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. You believe that? You mean that? Have you come to be changed and challenged this morning? Amen. We should all come to be challenged and changed this morning from glory to glory. We've been talking about, this may be the last uh, time I present this right now. We're talking about, as you have spoken, and this is lesson number four. So um, I wasn't going to, but I was impressed to continue doing so. So we're going to continue along that line. It is extremely important to understand this truth. And have you learned over the years that the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know about the things of God? And that even though you've heard it, it doesn't, faith doesn't come by having heard something, but it comes by hearing it over and over and over again. Okay, with that thought in mind, let's pursue this. We're going to review some things for those of you that haven't been here with us during this particular series. So number one, we're talking about, as you have spoken in my ears, number one, God hears our words and God does to us accordingly. He hears our words and does to us accordingly. And this is the verse of scripture that we base that on. Say unto them, this is God speaking, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears. God hears us when we speak, so will I do to you. And that's exactly what happened to them. What they said over the period of time, throughout the wilderness experience, God did to them. And they said, we're going to die out here, and they died out there. But the ones that said, no, God can get us in, they got in. So it's a principle, not some magical formula that you just say it one time and everything's going to be magically different. It doesn't work that way. It's a principle. You get it in your heart. You get it in your mouth. Number two. Secondly, God cheers when we speak right things. Imagine that. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart shall rejoice even mine. Yea, my reign shall rejoice. Another translation says, my reign shall cheer when your lips speak right things. Can you imagine God being your cheerleader? You speaking right things and he cheers because you're finally saying the right things. Number three, we will be held responsible for our words. Now, this one is hard to swallow, but look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. Now, that's a hard one to swallow, wouldn't you say? The words that we speak are very important. And that's Jesus who said that. So on the day of judgment, we're going to give an account of the words that we speak. I'd rather get him under the blood right now before we leave to go be with him in glory. What about you? Okay, that's number three. Number four, the tongue or tongue control is a mark of spiritual maturity. And we saw that in James chapter three, verse two. For in many things we offend all. 
If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect. The word perfect actually means mature. So spiritual maturity, a mature man is recognized by one who controls his tongue and able also to bridle his whole body. And so what he's talking about here is that it takes a person to be spiritually mature to watch his words and speak right things. And in doing so, he can order the steps of his life or direction that he needs, the guidance that he needs will come or manifest. And talked about, James went on to talk about, your tongue may be a small thing, but it can direct the course of your life. Just like the rudder on a ship or just like the bridle in the horse's mouth. So it's important that we recognize that the word of God teaches us the importance and value of speaking right things and speaking right words. All right, number five. Our words affect our emotional and physical health. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, your emotions, and health to the bones. Sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Remember that saying when you were growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones. But names, I'm going to change it, can very much hurt you. It's not true, is it? Words, names that you speak, derogatory statements that you make toward people can be very damaging, very hurtful. No matter who a person is. So they can. So it's important for us to realize that emotional hurts can come when we speak things that we shouldn't be speaking into people's lives. And what about your, your physical health? Pleasant words of honeycomb, sweet to the soul, health to the bones. Health to the bones, praise God, is, is basically talking about an immune system that is impacted or affected by the words that we speak. Next. Our words can hurt or heal relationships. There is that speaks like the piercings of a sword. Have you ever been cut through with someone's words piercing you? But the tongue of the wise is what? Health. In other words, it can heal relationships. So the words that we speak can either destroy poison relationships or cut relationships apart. Or they can produce health to a relationship. Create healthy relationships, whether it's in, in business or in marriage or whatever, even with our children. Next, number seven. Our words can enslave us or liberate us. You see that word now up there? Let me get back to it in a moment. You're snared, how? Taken enslaved or captive, how? By the words of your mouth. You're taken with the words of your mouth. So thou art snared or taken captive by the words that we speak. Do you remember when that person... And whoever that person may be, I don't know. But asked you to sign or co-sign for a loan. Anybody remember that? And something in your gut said, don't do it. No, don't do it. No would have been very liberating. But yes was very enslaving. And then you regret doing it. If you've ever been burnt, then you regret doing it. And maybe you've been down that road, maybe not. I pray that you haven't. But for those of you that have, no would have been very liberating, wouldn't it? But when you said yes, you were enslaved by your words, and now you may have been found to be the one to pay back the debt that you didn't borrow for yourself, but you co-signed co for somebody else, and many other ways. But we're talking about our words can enslave us. The words that we speak, the decisions that we make expressed through word form can enslave us or liberate us. And no is a very liberating word sometimes. Amen. Next, number eight. We need God's help in taming the tongue. And this last week is when all the lights went out, when the, we lost everything. Remember that last week? And th things shut down and all that. So here's the verse. The verse is, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. 
Give ear to my voice. When I cry unto thee, let my prayer be set forth as incense before thee, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now notice, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Set a watch at the door of my mouth, or before my mouth, and keep the door of my lips. He's asking for God to help him control his tongue. The psalmist is. Why? Well, go to Psalm 39. Here's why. We need God's help in taming the tongue because here the writer says, and I believe it was David, I said I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. Boy, that's something that I just right there, isn't it? I sin not with my tongue. The tongue can sin. I will keep my mouth with a bridle just like the horse while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. In other words, I didn't say a word. I held my peace, even from good. Didn't say anything good, didn't say anything bad. And my sorrow was stirred. All of a sudden, he gets agitated. My heart was hot within me. And I was getting really agitated and burning up. While I was musing, meditating, and thinking about what they were talking about, the fire burned then spake I with my tongue. In other words, I just let it all out. And then what I did, I gave them a piece of my unrenewed mind. I let it go from the depth of my soul. I did let it have my thoughts and all that. Okay. Notice, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days. What it is that I may know how frail I am. Aren't we all frail? But notice what he is saying is this. I held my peace. I held my peace. I held my tongue. I held my tongue. Didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. I was involved in one of these conversations at one time where I was just sitting there and I was observing. I was listening and listening and listening and listening and listening and listening. And what I was hearing was not godly. And as a result, mm, my, my righteous indignation fires began to burn on the inside of me. And it just kept burning and burning and boiling over and boiling over. Finally, I couldn't take any more. And I had to offer my two cents. It was renewed mind. It was biblical. And it was bathed in love. But I offered what the Word of God says. It's not easy to control the tongue, especially when your emotions get involved and you're fired up and you're burned up and you just want to let people have a piece of your mind. Well, it's better to express yourself with words that will edify and build up and create a better peaceful situation and still get the right outcome. Okay, next one. Our words, number nine, can edify, minister grace, or grieve the Holy Spirit. Look at the verse, the verses. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edify, to the use of edify. Why? That it may minister grace to the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. Notice those three things. Number one, he tells us we should speak words that edify. Edify means to build up, to charge people up, to get them excited about the right things. And so we want to use words that will build people up, especially when it comes to, for example, our children and let them know you believe in them, encourage them with words that will be uplifting and let them know that they will make something out of their lives and they will be successful and they will be able to accomplish great things and achieve great things if they set their heart and their mind to do it by the grace of God. But also it builds up, it edifies. That means the words can tear down as well. 
You know, oftentimes, I'll tell you, I, you've been walking around, whether it's a mall or even outside somewhere, and you hear people saying things and grabbing their children, and you're just this and just that, and just putting them down with words that are penetrating words that can really impact their lives and, and bring them down in such a way that the enemy will just run all over them. As a parent, we want to speak words that will edify our children and build them up and inspire them. And help them develop in such a way so as to believe with all their hearts that they can accomplish their goals and their dreams will be fulfilled as long as they believe in God and put him first and walk in harmony with his will. Amen. But also minister grace to the hearer. You want to minister grace to the people uh, around you. Are you a minister of grace or guilt and condemnation? We want to be able to minister grace with our words to impact people's lives in a positive way. And then notice the third one was grieve not the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, trust me, he is the divine agency at work in the earth today that takes the things of God and make them a reality within our lives. The last person we want to grieve is the Holy Ghost. You don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. Jesus even talked about the Holy Ghost and he said this. He said, look, you speak against me, you'll be, you can be forgiven. You speak against the Holy Ghost... You've done such damage, you could be guilty and also in danger of hellfire. You know, you could be speaking some things that seal your doom. So don't speak against the work of the Holy Spirit. And that was talking about him casting out devils by the finger of God. And they accused him of doing it by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And he said, speak against me if you want, but don't speak against the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust me, you don't want to do that. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Whether it's in your life individually, in your marriage, with your family, with your children in your church, whatever, even at your work, in the workplace. Speak positive things, speak right things. I'm not talking about mind over matter. We're just talking about speaking the word of God in situations so you can have the grace of God and the power of God in operation during that time. Finally, number 10. Our speech needs seasoning. Grace is, is, is just like salt. You ever try to eat a salad without any seasoning? That's why they came up with good seasons. <laughs> Let's read the scripture. <laughs> Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Someone says salt's no good for you. Salt's good. Jesus said salt's good. I agree with him. Salt is good. Amen. That you may know how to, you ought to answer every man. In other words, we want our words to be seasoned with salt, seasoned with grace. We want our French fries with salt on them. We don't want bland French fries. I got someone up here shaking his head. No, he likes his French fries without salt. But I'm going to instruct him in the way of the Lord and let him know that salt is good. And if the salt has lost its savor, then it's no good. But anyhow. How many of you like the bland salad, or would you rather have a little bit of seasoning? I would say most would agree that you want some good seasoning on your salad. It gives it flavor, doesn't it? It makes it more appealing, doesn't it? So in other words, our words need to be seasoned with what? Salt. Really, with grace. Grace is like seasoning with salt. Your language, your speech, and all that. We want to speak grace. Speak grace. Remember in the book of Zechariah where it talks about, it's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Right? He said, look, that mountain's going to come down, but it's not going to come down because of military strength, military power, political powers, or inhuman intelligence. But speak grace to it. Speak grace to it. Speak grace to it. And that mountain will come down. It will get out of your way. 
Amen. Grace is the operational power of God. We speak the operational power of God and mountains will be removed. Now, as we continue our study, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. And this has just really been on my heart to bring out. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Notice those three words, hath God said. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And you know the dialogue from there. But we'll just throw this out to you. Satan in the very beginning to get man to fall, what did he do? Took the word of God, God hath said, and injected a thought into the mind of the woman and turned the words around and said, hath God said. Notice this. There's three things we could call enemies that we face in this life. The devil, the world, and the flesh. And here's what's happened. He took her attention away from God hath said and got her to focus on who's he? The devil. Okay. The world. See that tree over there? That represents the world of darkness. The world of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at that. It's appealing to you. Then the flesh. It's appealing to you. Look at the fruit on that tree. Oh my goodness, it's wonderful fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof, right? So what does the devil, the world, and the flesh do? Take every God hath said, turn it around to say, did God really say that? Does God really mean that? Her attention was then toward the tree, and she saw the tree, and she started to reason. Oh, it does look pretty good. She's buying the lie of the devil. She heard that. The tree does look good. The world looks good. Young people, I'll tell you what, you're going off into college and, and that sort of thing. You're going to have some professors out there telling you that you're really foolish for living a life of consecration to God. And that you might as well just eat, drink, and be merry because there's really not a heaven to gain or a hell to shun. Look at the things that are out there in the world that you're denying yourself of. I mean, you could be partying every night. You could be doing this. You could be doing that and all the other things that you want to do in life. You should want to be happy. And sometimes when I hear people say, what is happy? Define happy. I mean, I'm getting my own way. I'm catering to my own flesh. I'm excited about what I'm doing, even though it may be wrong. But in whose eyes is it wrong? God's changing his mind. As a matter of fact, I've heard people say recently, that book was written by man. You can't follow it. Whatever you want to do, whatever feels good to you, you just go ahead and out there and do it. Live the way you want to live. Let me tell you something. That starts with the devil. He'll make the world appealing to you. And trust me, your flesh will harmonize with it because we live in a fallen flesh that doesn't want to serve God. So now we got the devil, we got the world, and we got the flesh doing what? Trying to get us to start agreeing with it and start saying the things that are destructive to our lives. Oh, yeah, that's how you're right. I think I'm going to start living like that. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. He's a professor. He's highly intelligent, etc., 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 etc. Before you know it, you're agreeing with the enemy or agreeing with the devil, the world, and the flesh. Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33, from the Amplified Version of the Bible, the classic version, okay, here's what Jesus said. Jesus told us, be aware, 
you're going to have some tribulation when you live in the world. I have told you these things so that in me you might have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. Look at those two statements. Would you rather be in him or in the world then? In me, you have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation, trials, and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Boy, if we just took that one verse, if that doesn't get you to shout, go buy a new shouter. Or maybe yours is plugged up. In me, perfect peace. I have conquered the world for you. I've deprived it of power to harm you. I have overcome it just for you. Now, when you read that, you think about that, and you kind of wonder at first, okay, I see, but really, what kind of counsel is that? You conquer the world, but how's that going to affect my life? In what way is that going to affect my life? Well, look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God. Have you been born of God? Have you been born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb? And you understand that language being born again, not religious, not going to church, not going through all these rituals, but you truly have one day got before God and said, Jesus, I accept you into my heart to be my savior, to be my Lord. I will live for you and follow you all the days of my life. You've been born again, a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're now a child of God. Whosoever is born of God, have you been born of God? Overcometh the world. Now, wait a minute. Jesus overcame the world, but whosoever is born of God overcomes the world why do we overcome the world because we've been born of god well then because we've been born of god we overcome the world but how this is the victory that overcometh the world even our what even our and you can find define faith as being believing from your heart and saying with your mouth we overcome the world by believing from the heart and saying some things with our mouth this is how we overcome the world. You put that together, what you discover is this. He overcame the world for us, so the world's been overcome. In him we have peace. In the world we have tribulation, distress, frustration, trying to do what? Undermine our peace, attack us like Eve was in the very beginning, to get us to side with the world and not side with Jesus. So it takes faith in his finished work that enables us to overcome the world. You can't overcome the world by yourself. I can't overcome the world by myself. In my strength, in my power, in my might, in my ability, you can't do it. I can't do it. But Jesus did it for us. He conquered it for us and deprived it of its right to rule us. We overcome it by believing in what he did and proclaiming it or declaring it or decreeing it. In the book of Revelation, you can see this clearly laid out for us. 12 and verse 11. Look at what it says. And they overcame him, that is the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. That's the finished work of Christ. And the word of their testimony. In other words, I agree to it. I agree with it. And they loved not their lives unto death. Notice how they overcame. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So in other words, everything that Jesus bought and paid for, when he shed his blood, belongs to us. He overcame the world for us. He didn't have to do it for himself. 
He didn't need to overcome it for himself. But he overcame it for each and every one of us. Why? So we can have a testimony. No, I can't overcome spiritual death, but Jesus did. He did it for me. And all that's left for me to do is what? Try to work my way somehow to do it for myself? Absolutely not. To agree with him that he did it for you. And you accept that, believe it, and say it. And if we'll do that, we too overcome spiritual death. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. There is nothing more important than you being saved from spiritual death and internal separation from God. Can you say amen to that? Do we all agree to that? Let me take a, a, let's say, a survey here today. How many of you want to spend your eternity in a lake of fire? Well, the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. Anyone? I don't see any hands going up. How many of you want to spend your eternity in eternal glory, reigning with him throughout eternity? I see all takers. Okay. Well, guess what? The only way to be one who spends your eternity with him in glory, Jesus said, except you be born again, you can't enter my kingdom. It's impossible. You must be born again. How do I get born again? Do I labor for it? Do I work for it? No. Except the fact that he defeated spiritual death for you. But what saith it? Saith what? The word, of, the word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Did you know Paul preached the word of faith? That if thou shalt confess with your ear. With your what? The Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in your what? Heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness. You don't work for righteousness. You believe because you believe someone else died for you. Who was made sin for you to make you righteous. Okay. He says with the heart man believes to righteousness. With a mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, you've got to want to be saved. You've got to want to know him. You've got to want to be in his kingdom. You've got to show him, I want to be a part of your eternal kingdom and eternal family. I want that. So how do I get it, Lord? How do I get it? Do I have to work hard for it? Do I have to go to church enough? Do I have to do all this, that, and the other? No, he just says, believe I did it for you. And from your heart, believe it. And with your mouth, say it. The miracle of the new birth takes place right at that moment. So how did you overcome spiritual death? By believing in your heart and saying with your mouth, Hath God said you must be born again? I've told that to people. Know what they say to me? Hey, you can believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. I believe different than you do. I said, let me say that to you once again. Jesus said you must be born again. You can believe what you want to believe. I got my own theories. I got my own ideas and all that. Now, let me just clarify that one more time. Jesus, who died on Calvary's cross, was buried, whose body and tomb were guarded by Roman soldiers, well-equipped, trust me, to see to it, it was secure. On the third day, the stone was removed. He came out of the grave, resurrected, glorified, they stood as statues. He appeared to many, 501 time, who saw him 
And we have changed the way we keep time from B.C. to A.D. because the grave is empty and there's nobody else that did what he did. I'm telling you, he's the only one that knows about eternity. He's the only one that knows about life after death because he's proved it by a resurrection from the dead. So let me say it one more time. He said, you must be born again. Oh. Hath God said? But you see, they're listening to that. Hath God said? Yeah, God has said. I said, God has said. So if God said that, and Jesus proved it, I got to believe it in my heart and say it with my mouth. So how do you overcome spiritual death? How do you overcome spending an eternity in the lake of fire? Like this. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were raised from the dead for me. I embrace that with all my heart. You are the only God man, the one who came from heaven, born of a virgin. You're the one who walked on this earth like no man walked, did what no man did. You spoke and even the wind and the sea obeyed you. You spoke and even the dead came back to life. You cleansed the leper. You did all these things. You multiplied lit loaves and fishes. The, the sick that were brought to you, the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the maimed were made whole. Even body parts that weren't there were recreated. You demonstrated that you walked on water because you are the son of the living God manifested in the flesh. And I believe no other but you. And if you said I must be born again, I must be born again. So Jesus, come into my heart right now. Wash me clean of my sin. I make you my Savior and my Lord. And I will serve you. I will deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you all the days of my life. I'm calling upon your name right now. And he said, if you call upon my name, you'll be saved. Only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Guess what? You got saved with your heart and your mouth. Can we all agree to that? Now let's shift gears. Now let's look at Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verse 23. Because there's an, here's another aspect of our faith of our words of as we speak in the ears of God we release the authority that he gave us with the words of our mouth for verily I say unto you this is Jesus speaking that whosoever shall say unto this mountain notice he didn't say say to God about the mountain but whosoever shall say to the mountain say be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, the very key part of this, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Here we have a revelation given to us by Jesus of what is called the law of faith. And the law of faith says or speaks to the problem or the mountain. Now, the word say that actually means to call forth, command, or, or declare, or decree. Mountain stands for adversity, problems, difficulties that we face in life. Anybody ever have any of those challenges along the way as far as life is concerned? He said, speak to the mountain. Because he, he knew speaking to the mountain would cause it to be removed. But the tendency for all of us is to speak about the mountain and when we speak about the mountain, what does it do? It digs in his heels and becomes stronger and stronger in the mind of a person. So the problem grows in intensity if we speak about the problem constantly. 
But he's teaching us to live differently because his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. His are much higher than ours. When God wants a project fulfilled, what does he do? He speaks first and then it happens. And so he's trying to educate his disciples. He's going back to the throne and he's educating his disciples right before he dies. And what does he say? You've got to speak to your mountain with authority and command it to remove. And if you'll command it to remove, it will obey you. And Luke, he said it this way, speak to the sycamine tree. If you don't doubt, but speak to that sycamine tree, it, tell it to be plucked up by the root and planted into the sea. It will obey you. It will obey you. Okay. And he also went on to say, and nothing shall be impossible to you when you put all those scriptures together. So he's trying to teach his disciples how to use their faith to remove mountains. And you might say, well, why isn't he teaching us to ask the father to remove the mountain? Well, like I said earlier, if you keep doing everything for your children, do you know if you keep on paying their car insurance for the rest of their lives, they'll just let you? How many of you know that? They'll let you. If they're smart, they'll let you. There comes a time when you have to say, you've got to do something. You've got to take some responsibility here. He's the same way with us. He said, look, I have given you all the equipping that you need. I've given you my armor. I've given you the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the sword is voice activated. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is voice activated. What good is it to have a sword if I don't know how to use it? The sword is voice activated. He said, look, I'm leaving you, but I'm giving you my name and my authority. And while I'm here on the earth, I want you to transact business for me. And what you bind will be bound. What you loose will be loosed. Now, I'm telling you, speak to that mountain and it will remove. But you've got to train yourself to believe in your words. You've got to believe from your heart that what you're saying will come to pass. And if you believe that and say that, then it will come to pass. The mountain will remove. So let's keep this in mind. You keep talking about the problem. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and more deeply rooted in your life. But you speak the solution to the problem. You speak the word to the problem and say, I'm speaking to you because hmm, you're a mountain. Mm -hmm. You're in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're in this world. Jesus said in the world, I have tribulation, but I'd rather be in him because he said in him, I have peace. So I'm going to say in him, I'm going to sell you something. Jesus overcame you for me. Mountain, Jesus overcame you for me. So I'm speaking to you and telling you. I'm going to hammer you with the word, cut you down to size by speaking the word. Have God said or God hath said. God hath said for me to speak to you and I'm speaking to you in Jesus' name and commanding you to stop operating in my life. Get out of my way. God wants us to use our authority like that. It's up to us to do that. If we don't do that, we magnify the problem. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And for those of you that are maybe new here, just want to let you know real quick. My son was born without a left pulmonary artery. And all the greatest doctors at Children's Hospital said he can't live. Well, he's going to be, he's 16 years old now. And this left pulmonary artery that he didn't have, my wife and I said, thank you, Lord, for a left pulmonary artery. You have a left pulmonary artery. It's growing, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. And in nine months, it grew to normal size from nothing. Speak to the problem. Speak to the situation. And... I highly respect all the intelligence of those that have dedicated their lives to the profession. And they were absolutely 100% right. He didn't have one. But aren't you glad that we can go beyond the five physical senses and say, oh, but I believe something beyond that. And he's 16 years old now. 
And the only thing that I'm doing is agree with me. He doesn't want to drive a car too soon. Just agree with me that he won't be so excited about driving a car. I, shh, he's back there. He doesn't know I'm saying Just, I just can't go there right now. Just. He wants to, but I'm saying, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Lord, no, he doesn't. Here you, I'm speaking to the mountain. I'm speaking to the mountain. I'm speaking to the mountain. He doesn't really want to drive a car. He doesn't really want to drive a car. Maybe when he's 18, 19, or 30, then maybe. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Look at some areas to consider that I'm going to throw out here real quick. When it comes to our spiritual growth and development, you know there's mountains that stand in our way? That try to prevent our spiritual growth and development. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. There are winds of doctrine that come down to pike that Paul's talked about that will really stop us from growing spiritually. But speaking the truth. What? Speaking the truth. Do you notice how much we're talking about words here? And as you've spoken in my ears, speaking the truth in love may what? Grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In other words, we got to start speaking the truth God hath said and stop buying the lie. Hath God said? Speak the truth in love and you'll grow up in Christ in all things. Well, what is the truth? Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 17 through 21. We speak the truth and we speak against the lies of the enemy that tries to really control our lives with his thoughts and with his words. In the book of Romans chapter 5, this revelation came to Paul by Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. That's Adam's sin and death reigned over all the world. You realize that? One man's goof brought destruction to every human life. But notice the next two words. Say them with me. Much more. Much more. They which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. What's his name? Jesus Christ. Now notice the distinction here. Adam, by one man, death reigned. Jesus, much more we reign in life by him. Therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus, the free gift has come upon all men and the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one man, Jesus, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound or be made known. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death, Adam, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. In me you have peace, in the world you have tribulation. Notice he's making a distinction between the first Adam and the last Adam. So the first Adam brought death and it reigned upon all human life. The second one, Jesus, the second Adam, he's called the last Adam, he brought grace and righteousness. In other words, he restored man's right relationship with God and gave him back authority. So we can either identify who we are in Adam or we can identify with who we are in Christ. And I'm telling you, the devil, the world, and the flesh will always point us back to Adam. And every emotional thought that we have, 
You want to know why there's all this going on about whether a person's their gender and all that sort of thing? It's all up here. It's all mental. It's all emotional it, because it's all demonic. People don't know who they are because they haven't been taught that. Look, you were in Adam and in Adam, you're in a fallen state. But when you come over here and he plucks you out of being an Adam and the Holy Ghost puts you in Christ you're a new creation and all things pass away and all things become brand new. The way for you and I to succeed in this life is to come out of Adam and get into the second or the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Because all things then pass away and all things become brand new. When it comes to your value or your worth, think about it. Are you worthy or worthless? Are you valuable or valueless? Well, listen, I've heard preachers stand behind pulpits and say, I'm just so unworthy to come before you. I want to say, pluck him out of Adam and get him into Jesus. Because when you were in Adam, you were Adam conscious and you were full of guilt and condemnation, inferiority and all that. And you were unworthy. But Jesus washed you in his precious blood. He put a new nature inside you. You became a son of the living God or a daughter of the Most High. He took you over here from that jurisdiction into the jurisdiction of the kingdom of God and made you the righteousness of God in Christ. He made you worthy to stand before the throne and say, Abba, Father. He made you valuable, amen, before the throne. And, and he gave you your value and your worth when he shed his blood. What did it cost for him to buy you back to pay your ransom? Not silver, not gold, all the cattle, silver, gold, a thousand hills couldn't pay your ransom. All the money that the world has to offer couldn't buy your ransom. But the precious blood of Jesus Christ bought your ransom and paid for your freedom. And so a person that says, I'm unworthy, they're still being dominated by the voice of the devil who is saying, look at who you are in Adam, you old sinner. Maybe you're saved by grace, but you're just still a sinner. But you've got the Holy Ghost saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, you were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. You're a saint. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a priest before God. You're an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're made more than a conqueror through him that loves you. Oh, hallelujah. See, in me you have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world for you. Now, once again, we're not going to get through all this, but uh, let me just throw them out real quick. What do we have here? It's our responsibility to declare who we are in Christ, embrace it, and start speaking it. When it comes to our marriage, speak what the Word of God says. When it comes to our children, or emotional and physical health, speak what the Word of God says. And don't buy the lie of the enemy. Our finances, stop talking about how you can't pay your bills. Start speaking about what the Word says. Speak to the mountain of debt. I'm speaking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm commanding you to get out of my life, get out of my way, be reduced to nothing. Because he's my financier. He provides all my need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When it comes to our relationships, let's start a peace makers be a peacemaker be someone that says i'm going to speak against whatever it is that creates any problems in a relationship but in our conclusion there look at these things that i call mountains that we've got to speak against number one we have to speak against envy it destroys a relationship strife division unforgiveness guilt condemnation weakness anger anxiety sickness doubt poverty fear every obstacle that must be removed in order to achieve our success we've got to speak against it in the name of jesus you see it's going to stay there you're going to be an unforgiving person if you don't speak to it and uproot it from your heart and saying get out of my life bitterness get out of my life doubt get out of my life fear i'm speaking to you god didn't give me the spirit of fear but power love and of a sound mind see we don't see them as obstacles and if we don't what about this one Anybody here ever deal with weakness? I feel so weak today. I'm sure at one time in your life you probably said something like that. 
What, what's the advice that comes from the Word of God? What's the counsel that we're get, we get from the Word of God? Let the weak say, wait a minute. Let them what? Let them run out and buy at GNC at all the energy pills you can find. Let them go and get on this health kick and, and, and all that. No. Let the weak say, I am strong. Words have power. They contain life or death. So let the weak say, I'm strong. So if someone is bound by something, call yourself free. Stop saying, you know, you're trying to get rid of the nicotine habit. Stop saying over and over again, I just can't break the habit. 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 I just can't. You keep saying that, it digs its heels in deeper and deeper and gets a stronger hold on you and in your mind and will get you to believe that you can't do it. But I'm telling you, if you'll get a hold of this message and start saying it every single day, I am no longer bound by nicotine. Mountain of nicotine, I speak to you right now. In addiction, I speak to you right now. In Jesus' mighty name, you're reduced down to size. Say it. If you've got to say it a hundred times a day, say it over and over and over and over and over and over again. I guarantee you one day you're going to hit it with the hammer, the rock, and keep on beating it. And one day it's going to be gone. Why? Because you believed in your heart and said with your mouth what needed to be said. Doubt the same way. Unbelief the same way. Your body, James said, speak to it. Let's stand together before I keep preaching another message. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I want to thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of His love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound. And through a life of worship, bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others. And in all that we do, we want to demonstrate the power of the name of Jesus to the world through a ministry of excellence to God first and then also to you. So whatever the situation, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, I want you to know that we love you and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan begins by making Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life. And if you've never made that decision yet, I'd like to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And if you will, Jesus will become your Savior and your Lord. Just repeat after me this prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And I'll accept you and receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I have called on the name of Jesus. I'm now your child, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.